So, my name is Mitch Pico. Some of you know me, some of you don't. I apologize for those of you who do. <laughs> and I apologize in advance for my past. But, having said that, my past is just that. And you're going to hear more about that later. But what we're going to consider today is another meal, the second in the series about the meals of Jesus in Luke. And interestingly, again, a Pharisee is involved. Remember last week we studied the meal about the Pharisees, and they were criticizing Jesus for inviting tax collectors and sinners. They did not have any time or consideration for those tax collectors because they felt they were above them, that they couldn't be good people like Pharisees. But Jesus told us that he came as a doctor. He came as a physician to heal the sick. And he was talking about the sin-sick individuals who were trapped in the bodies that we live in with our imperfections. So Jesus came to give healing and forgiveness, and that's why he came as a doctor. And he also prefigured the work that God intended for imperfect humans as well, in that he wants to come and give us his love and his healing and his forgiveness, and at the same time expects a response from us. He wants us to turn around, to repent, and to go to Jesus Christ as our Savior. So that was sort of the theme of the first meal. And now we're going to get into a second meal, and the second meal, it's, it's ironic that I got invited in one way to, to do this sermon, because I have been both Simon and the woman of the city. I know that doesn't sound good. Don't panic yet. <laughs> but in one way or another, I have lived both those lives. And you will hear some of my testimony. May that not detract you from God's word, because what's really important is that we recognize just how much he loves us and how deep our sin was, and how much he has forgiven, and what that forgiveness truly means. So this week's meal has the Pharisee named Simon, who is another keeper of the law, really thinks a lot of himself. He's obviously a good person because he's a Pharisee. He's high social status, and he's... And he's hosting this meal, and he's going to have Jesus there. And everybody's going to see that he had Jesus there, this one who seems to think he's some sort of prophet. But Simon really doesn't end up hosting a meal at all. Did you notice who really hosted Jesus? We're going to go to that, and we're going to consider how it is that this woman who was nameless, and that's probably because she sort of didn't have any identity, and that she was such low class in the city. You realize a woman of the city really means that she was a prostitute. She was not only this low social status, she was not only a sinner, the worst gap of all when it comes to etiquette, she was uninvited too. I realize the other things are far more important. But she saw that Jesus was going to be at this meal, and she had such faith in Jesus that she was moved to come in and do this extravagant act. So how is it that I, 
could be like Simon? And how is it that I, or could have been, let's, let's, let's stop that, that I could have been like this woman as well? Well, we're going to take a few minutes and I'm going to tell you that. And then we're really going to get into the scriptures, which is more important. But as you listen to my testimony, may you realize the reason I'm sharing it. I'm sharing it to glorify my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And my God in heaven, who offered me such incredible forgiveness, the depth of which I still have not completely fathomed. So, at 10 years old, I got my first Bible. It was an RSV, Revised Standard Version, the generic Bible. And I was a Methodist, so it was perfect, because it was a generic religion. So I got my Bible. <laughs> we didn't have to do a lot. It was easy. Um, Sunday school was fun, lots of games. But I was an unusual child. And I know you see the end result there. But I started reading my Bible at 10 years old. By the time I was 12, I had read through the Bible several times. And as I read through the Bible, I started finding questions. Okay, so, I mean, I, I saw Jesus, and I knew the song, Jesus Loved Me, this I know, so I knew Jesus only as far as that song went. And that would be my mode of operandi, my way of thinking of Jesus for the next 30 years. It was sad. I knew Jesus as a name and as a figure in the Bible, but read the Bible as I might, I never knew him in my heart. And so, as I grew, and as I got to be 12 and 14, and the 14-year-olds didn't go to Sunday school anymore, but I'd already worn out the Sunday school teachers anyway with my questions about the Bible, I started going to the library to get Bible questions answered. And I would do all the research I could. Our library, by the way, was three miles away. It was a bike ride, and it was a quarter of the size of this room. It didn't have a lot of books, and it had even fewer books about the Bible. So that left me with more Bible translations. That's all. I still wasn't getting my questions answered, which set me up for my first really big mistake in my Bible study. But have you ever started on a trip, and say you're going to go to Thunder Bay, but you figure you'll go through Red Lake, because that's on the way. And maybe Fort Francis, too. And then, no doubt, the states would be somewhere swinging into the states and back up through Quebec, and then eventually you're going to get to Thunder Bay, right? That was my way to Jesus. That's how I studied the Bible. It was a series of four decisions that the Lord used to allow me to stand here right now. And I need you to listen carefully about what I'm telling you, not what I did. Ignore that. No. So, at 22 years old, newly married, I worked with some Jehovah's Witnesses, and they knew their Bible. As we talked at work, they said they could teach me the Bible. They could give me answers from the Bible. And, before you judge them, they can give you answers from the Bible. The only problem is they can't help you find the Jesus Christ that you have as your Savior. You can find him, but they're going to tell you that it's a little bit different than what the Lord will tell you. So, I got so into studying the Bible and being able to explain it, and I learned to read and write Greek so that I could get all the little nuances of the Bible and, 
and impress people. And I want you, that is one key word for you. So I was really getting full of me. I love the Bible so I could tell you how much I knew about the Bible. And still doing it all without Jesus Christ. I even came to Dryden, by the way, back in 1985. I spoke in your kingdom hall two different times. <laughs> and Jehovah's Witnesses are good people, and they are this close to getting Christ in their life and in their heart. But they need you to help them learn the lesson that we're going to study from this meal today. So after I traveled all over the country and spoke in New York City to over 15,000 people and one time 50,000 people and really thought I was a good person, I began to look more closely at the organization that I was a part of. And I realized that they didn't allow me to read the Bible and say, oh, so it says Jesus forgave their sins. Okay, so all I need to do is go to Jesus. You had to make one slight detour. You had to go through the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society and ask them what that really meant. And they tell you, unless it wasn't the proper time for you to have that food. And then they tell you it'll come in the future. So what I came to realize is I was in one more place where I really wasn't getting my answers from the Bible. I was getting their answers. And I was on another side. Now you would think, reading the Bible, at this point, I have now read the Bible 25 years and still haven't allowed Jesus Christ to come into my life, into my heart, to be in control. And control is a key word here because I wanted to be in control, not allowing someone else to take control. So you would think that all about the Bible, easy to find Christ, wrong. On top of that, my wife, who was also a Jehovah's Witness at this time, is getting more and more disillusioned with me because I'm more and more disillusioned with Jehovah's Witnesses. And we had a chasm in our marriage that was incredible. That's not Susie, by the way, my first wife. I want to make that clear today. Susie didn't, Susie saved me, didn't lose me. So, <clears throat> You'd think I would turn to some Christian church and go and say, Pastor Nick, I really need to learn about Christ. I haven't learned about him anywhere at all. Help me. Remember I kept saying me, me, me. Well, my pride was still too involved. So instead, I start talking with this 16-year-old girl. I was teaching a writing class at night. I start talking with this 16-year-old girl. This doesn't get any prettier. We start writing a novel together. I draw farther and farther, and by the way, all of you who are adults or even 16-year-old girls probably realize how bad this sounds already. I draw farther and farther away from my wife and my family. I have two daughters of my own. And closer and closer to this girl. This girl was an honor roll student and graduated from high school at 16. But having said that, she was in a, in a family of physical abuse and lots and lots of anguish and verbal abuse. So as we sat and wrote this novel, we began to share our woes. And as anyone can tell you, if you put yourself in that situation, you set yourself up for bad decisions. I made a huge bad decision. The girl decided she was going to run away. 
and me being a responsible adult, I said, well, I'll take you. And so we left together. It cost me a marriage, temporarily cost me the love and friendship of my two daughters, and it cost me a year in jail. When we came back, I came back by means of the police force, I was sentenced to a year in jail, and I had time to think, and now you say, now he's going to get it, now he's going to turn to Christ. No, no, I had, I had, I was in jail with a fellow Christian, by the way, there are Christians in jail sometimes, because Christians do bad things sometimes. <coughs> and he told me that I had to turn to Christ, that I had to get my life straightened out. Another voice, I, I know the Lord was answering me all the time, I was the one not answering him. But I got out of jail in nine months for good behavior and moved in at 38 years old with my parents. My parents were awesome and kind and loving and forgiving and everything that Christ would be. And I still was too haughty and arrogant to say, what do I do? So I was working in a construction job and I started taking walks every evening, long walks, praying out loud. Lord, I don't know what to do. But I remembered that my current wife, Sue, who would be sitting here if she didn't have a cold today, my wife said to me back when we used to work together, and I was still married to my first wife, my wife said, we were discussing the Bible, and she said, you could bury me in scripture and verse. You know the Bible so much better than me. She said, but have you ever heard the voice of our Savior? And I, I momentarily let my guard down, and my heart actually spoke, and I said to her, that's all I want to hear. And it was shortly after that I ran away. So you can see that I just couldn't get on the right path, and I accept complete responsibility for every bad decision I made. But after about two or three weeks of taking this walk every night, and praying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need to hear your voice. He finally spoke to me. And of course, you can tell I'm very verbose. I like a lot of words. The Lord didn't do that for me. He gave me one word three times in a span of about five minutes. He said, surrender. And I heard it as clear as I could hear Pastor Nick when he was standing here talking on the microphone. And of course, I'm argumentative. <laughs> then, not as much now, I said, I don't know what that means. Two and a half minutes later, surrender. And I don't know what surrender means, but it was stalling, you know? Because otherwise, if I surrender, I have to make this deal, whatever it's going to be. My mind was doing all of those things to me. Till the third time. The third time the Lord said, surrender. And I fell to my knees on the shore of this little lake that Susie and I currently live on, by the way. And I said, okay, nothing I've tried has worked. You take control. I didn't know what that would mean. 
He said, come into my heart, come into my life. I need you so badly. I need to be free of all of this guilt, all of this regret. I give it all to you. I can't keep it. I've made so many bad decisions. And I walked back to my parents' house that night. And in the morning, I called Susie because it had been too late at night. I thought Susie and I had been talking. We were friends at this point. My marriage was broken. I was living at my parents. Susie actually was my only friend other than relatives. And I said, I accepted the Lord last night. And she said, and that's why this scripture that we're reading tonight means so much to me today because it's daytime. She said, hallelujah, your sins are forgiven. And then she told me that all the time I was gone on my little journey, they were praying in her Bible study group for me to get caught. <laughs> for them to haul me back and throw me in jail or whatever they had to do so that I could be in the moment that she was sharing with me there on the phone. And the repercussions and the consequences, those are ongoing. It's a convicted felon. Lots of things to deal with. But that's the same thing with any of us when we make bad decisions. There's consequences. But my sins were forgiven. And I knew when Susie spoke it, she spoke it in behalf of the Lord. And it was the best thing I've ever heard. And now I'm learning that there's no thing, no thing left to regret. And so let's get into the scripture. You've heard more than enough about me. But I stand here in front of you because of that really bad path to Christ. So, when Simon came and invited Jesus, he was thinking it was pretty good, and he wasn't aware at all of his sinfulness. He was full of himself, and he wasn't thinking about how he looked down on other people. The woman, on the other hand, when she came to the meal, she knew absolutely how sinful she was. And she felt worthless. And she comes to Jesus repentant and thankful and loving and humble. And humility is such a huge thing because now in looking back, I know that the one thing I lacked for 40 years in my life was humility. But now, let's look at what Jesus says to Simon. And what Jesus says to the woman. So Jesus goes to Simon, as you saw when we, were, when we were reading the scripture, and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Because he knew Simon was judging him. Simon, if he was really proud, he wouldn't. He says, So if you knew someone who was given 500 denarii loan, and somebody who was given 50, and then neither one could pay back, and the, the loaner or the forgiver of the debt, told them not to bother paying it back. The debts were forgiven. Which one would he love most? And Simon, now this is right up Simon's alley. He knows money. He knows riches. He knows possession. He knows power. Simon said, well, I imagine it would be the one who you gave more, who you forgave more. And Jesus said, yes, you, you rightly judged that. But Simon missed the point. Simon should have been the one who understood it all. He had the word he had the keeper of the law. It was his job. He was supposed to know God. He was supposed to be able to dispense God's rulings and, 
and show God's judgments and explain things about God. Remember I said I was like Simon? I told people door to door for years all about the God of the Bible. But I didn't know it. Simon was not a good host. Didn't offer Jesus any water to wash his feet. Didn't give him a kiss when he greeted him. No anointing oil. We know that the woman truly was the host. Look what she did. And she even did more things than we hear just in the scripture because in standing behind Jesus and then kneeling, because she didn't stay standing, she walked in and kneeled, maybe even crawled in, she was in the form of a servant to Jesus. Then she was weeping. She was weeping because of her repentance, because of her shame, because of her guilt, and because of her joy at being in the presence of the Lord. And by the way, when Susie told me that in the morning, your sins are forgiven, I wept. I know Susie wasn't the one forgiving my sins. She has, by the way, thank goodness. And she, by the way, sees me as redeemed and saw me as redeemed from that moment forward. For all of you who just heard about this, some of you will need to. This bothers you, my past. You will need to be able to forgive me for your own good. I can live with a lack of forgiveness for my sins, but none of us can live with unforgiveness in our heart, not live well and not live joyfully. This woman came and as she wept, her tears were falling on Jesus' feet. She took her hair and she used her hair to wipe his feet. Doing that was one more shameful act, a disgraceful act, because for a Jewish woman in those days in that city, she shouldn't have had her hair down in front of men. But none of her shame and none of her past and none of her sins mattered to her more than her love, this extravagant act that she was doing for Jesus Christ, because as she sat, kneeled, kissed his feet, wiped his feet, anointed them with this oil, this ointment, she knew how extravagantly he was loving and forgiving her in return. Do we know the depth of forgiveness that we receive from our Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you have been so ashamed of yourself that you didn't think there was any way to ever regain a relationship with anyone? Let me tell you what the Lord gave me back. He gave me back a wonderful relationship with my two daughters. By the way, uh, our youngest daughter, Hillary, has just started attending church again and has accepted Christ. Our youngest daughter is 37. This has been a long road, but I taught them how to get there. <laughs> our youngest grandson, who's 13, has been reading his Bible. He has lots of questions for Grampy when he gets home. I'm so excited. This woman knew that Jesus was everything for her. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. There is more in that sentence 
than 5,000 sermons could ever share with you. But the Greek word that covers this section, sins are forgiven, are forgiven rather, is the Greek word afeiadne. Afeiadne. And that word means canceled, thrown away, discarded, removed, most of all, in this case, forgiven, because that's what Jesus said. But it means that from the moment Jesus said that to her, those sins could never come back. They were as far as the east is from the west, but more than that. When we forgive, let's say that we write the word forgiveness on a chalkboard, and then we wipe it off with an eraser. And the word's gone, but there's still that white smear. And every time we look at the chalkboard, we can, and some of you probably don't know what a chalkboard is, I just realized how old I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is really my hair. I didn't die this. <laughs> Humans forgive, but we really need the Lord's help to forget. That thought keeps coming back. Remember the time that person did? The Lord forgives. And it's gone. That's praiseworthy beyond all imagination. She said, he said she was forgiven, and he, he did point out that it wasn't because she washed his feet so nice with her hair, and her tears were really warm. It was because of her faith. He says, your faith has saved you. So I want you to think about this. We don't know how, how much she had heard about Jesus, but this woman, who should not have got Jesus, she shouldn't have understood that he was her Lord and Savior. She didn't have any education. She had read the Bible a hundred times. This woman saw him there reclining at the table and came in and dropped to her knees, and she got it. The irony of those two individuals reminds us that she was totally empty of self, and he was full of self. And the problem with us and self is a lot of times self gets in the way of our worship of our Lord. We need to be filled with Him. And I stand here today telling you that I'm not nearly perfect, but I'm full of the Lord. So grateful. We read the scripture in Micah, but Daniel 9 9 reminds us that to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. And here's why. For we have rebelled against Him. So whether we're here as saved Christians or someone still searching for that thing that I found, that Lord that I needed to fill my life, we need to make sure that we recognize the need for repentance and recognition of our Lord and Savior. It's one thing to read about him. Oh, I could tell you so many scriptures that refer to him. But it's another one to find out the Lord that, as in Isaiah, is described as washing our sins away and making us as white as snow. Did you see the sunshine yesterday? It was a windy day, but it was sunny. Did you see how white the snow was? Now imagine the supernatural whiteness of being cleansed completely because that's what he's done with our souls. He 
whiter than the whitest white you've ever seen. When Jesus reclined at the table at this meal, he gave us a picture of everything that he wanted to do and still wants to do for all of us. Forgive us, accept us, clean, cleanse us, wash away our sins, wipe them clean, and give us real life, real love, true joy, and give us understanding of that Lord that we have accepted as our Savior. Today we're going to have a meal at the table. And this meal prefigures the greatest meal of all time, but this meal also reflects on one of the greatest meals of all time. We're going to remember the sacrifices that Jesus took upon himself. Every one of our bad acts, bad thoughts, every one of our sins, he took upon himself took away from us when we accepted him as a Savior. That forgiveness is remarkable. But in wanting to make us clean and wanting to help us be, he doesn't make us do it. In wanting to give us a way to be clean image bearers. Image bearers. He wants us to be like him. And one of the things that was first and foremost about these verses is his ability to forgive, no matter what the sin was. How good are we at forgiving? <clears throat> Jesus invites us to the table today, and so for all except Christ, come to the table and partake. For those who haven't, by all means, I would love to sit down with you after, or Pastor Nick, or anyone. I'll tell you about an easier road than the one I took. He's there, he's waiting, he's asking you to come. Think about yourself as the Pharisee. The Pharisee thought he was above everyone. So let me ask you this question. This is going to be an uncomfortable question, so I'm going to ask you, because that's what church is really about. If we don't get uncomfortable questions, we're not throwing who is in your life that you think you're above, you're better than? Okay, that might not be one that you're going to identify someone right oh, I'm better than anybody. Let me ask you this way. Who do you know that you would never want to invite to your house for a meal? So there's someone, someone that you thought of, someone who's made a fool of himself, someone, some drunk cousin, whatever. <laughs> How can you do something this week to love that person more? And then more than that, what can you do to forgive that person and let go of all the anger or disgust or shame or whatever it is you have so that that person can feel the love of Christ and Christ's forgiveness? Now let's look at it from the point of view of the woman. Jesus pointed out to Simon that when you forgive someone greatly, they feel more love. I can testify that when I knew my sins were forgiven, it was beyond my wildest dreams. 
Because I really believe that I have thrown my whole life around. I now have a wonderful wife who is the most spiritual person I know. No offense to any of you, but I don't know you as well as her. <laughs> Do you realize how deep and how deathly our sin was in our bodies before Jesus Christ saved us? Saved us? Or how deep it may still be for those of you who are still searching? And that's not to say we are without sin, because we make mistakes every day. But we need to realize not one of us here saved ourselves. And not one of us here talking out to someone in the world can save them. And they can't save themselves. Only our Lord Jesus Christ can save them. Do you realize that Jesus invites us to come to him dirty and disgusting and broken and repentant? And when we do, he takes us in and loves us and washes us and forgives us and saves us. <clears throat> Let's pray for a moment. Dear Father, you know that if I really went into this in depth, I would be weeping myself, but they would be tears of joy. Please help us to see how we can reflect this awesome forgiveness you hold out to us as a human and as your people and as your children and even as for the lost. Father, we need to learn so much about your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. But I praise you for what you've shown us so far. In Jesus' name, amen. We have so much to learn about forgiveness, but can't we praise our Lord for him allowing us to learn it after he's forgiven us? Let's learn together and think about that person that you're going to forgive this week. It can't be an act of just something you take casually. This may be one of the hardest exercises you do. Think about them, pray about them, pray about you, and forgive. Thank you.